Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of febrile seizures found under the neurology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A two-year-old boy is brought to the emergency department due to a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. The seizure lasted about four minutes. His temperature was measured to be 103 degrees Fahrenheit. He has no prior history of seizures. Let's continue with an introduction to febrile seizures. Remember that this is the most common seizure in infants and young children. It occurs between six months and five years of age with a slight male predominance. It is associated with fevers, meaning a temperature of 38 degrees Celsius or greater, without evidence of central nervous system infection, afebrile seizure history, or metabolic disturbance. Risk factors include an elevated fever, age, potentially due to the developing nervous system being vulnerable to a fever, viral infection, such as with HHV6 or influenza virus, a family history, so there's potentially a genetic component, and recent immunizations, although the absolute risk is small. Moving on to the presentation, a simple febrile seizure, which makes up about 70 to 80% of cases, is a generalized seizure lasting less than 15 minutes long, and there is typically only one seizure within 24 hours, and it is typically generalized tonic-clonic. A complex febrile seizure, which makes up about 20 to 30% of cases, is defined by the presence of any one of the following. A focal seizure, lasting more than 15 minutes long, and more than one seizure within 24 hours. Remember that febrile status epilepticus, which is a subset of complex febrile seizures, is classically defined as a seizure lasting greater than 30 minutes and a neurologic emergency. In terms of the evaluation, a febrile seizure is a clinical diagnosis. One can consider a lumbar puncture if it is suspicious of meningitis, such as the lack of haemophilus influenza type B or streptococcus pneumonia vaccination, or a physical exam suggesting meningitis or some other central nervous system infection. In terms of further labs, This is not typically obtained for seizure evaluation, but it may be used for seizure evaluation in the setting of complex febrile seizure, and it may be performed if it is useful to identify a fever source. In terms of treatment, remember that the management for all febrile seizures includes mostly observation, counseling, reassurance, and educating the parent. Antipyretics may be used to help alleviate symptoms of fever. Further considerations for complex febrile seizures include that they are more commonly associated with infection or structural abnormalities, so one may consider obtaining an EEG, though this is not required. One may treat with the benzodiazepine if the seizure lasts more than five minutes. One should terminate status epilepticus with a benzo or phenytoin, and one can initiate status epilepticus protocol if it continues. In terms of the prognosis, remember that this rarely develops into epilepsy. One can monitor complex febrile seizures as they are more likely to recur. And lastly, in terms of the differential, make sure to think about brief resolved unexplained events, also referred to as a brewery. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to febrile seizures, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A three-month-old boy presents to the emergency department after a 30-second episode of altered consciousness. The mother states that the infant held his arm straight out in front of him and did not respond to external stimuli. 
He was breathing during this episode and did not demonstrate tonic-clonic activity or eye deviation. The infant had a pulse the entire time and appeared well perfused. After the episode, he returned to baseline and fed normally. The patient has no infectious symptoms, is generally healthy, and has experienced no recent trauma. There is no family history of any known disease. His temperature is 97.9 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.6 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 80 over 50. Pulse is 130 beats per minute. Respirations are 22 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 100% on room air. Physical exam reveals a happy, interactive newborn. There are no signs of trauma, rashes, abdominal tenderness, extremity tenderness, bruising, tympanic membrane abnormalities, or oropharyngeal abnormalities. The child is drinking and appears well. Which of the following is the most appropriate explanation for this patient's symptoms? And the answer choices are... Choice 1. Brief resolved unexplained event. Choice 2. Febrile seizure. Choice 3. Functional neurologic disorder. Choice 4. Meningitis. Or choice 5. QT prolongation. The best answer to this question is, choice one, brief resolved unexplained event. This pediatric patient is presenting with a 30-second episode of altered consciousness where he held his arm straight out in front of him and did not respond to external stimuli. Given that this fits no known organic pattern of disease and the exam is normal with normal vitals, the best explanation is a brief resolved unexplained event, or brewy. A brewy often occurs within the first year of life it presents with very concerning symptoms that may be sudden in onset. It is important to note that these symptoms cannot be explained by an alternative etiology. Possible presenting symptoms may include cyanosis, apnea, change in muscle tone, or altered level of consciousness. It is important to note that these episodes are brief, often less than one minute, followed by a return to baseline. Infections, prematurity, and very young age increase the risk of a brewery. There is no single workup for a brewery, as it must be targeted to the patient's event, such as an EEG if a change in muscle tone occurs, or an ECG and telemetry with pulse oximetry if apnea occurs. Depending on the patient's age and risk factors, they may require admission for observation or can be discharged home with precautions given to the family. A thorough exam in history elucidating trauma is critical to rule out non-accidental trauma. Furthermore, modifications of risk factors for other conditions, such as avoiding smoke exposure and bundling for sudden infant death syndrome, is also optimal care. The publication by Tieter et al. notes that the diagnosis of a brewery can only be made if there is no alternative etiology that explains the patient's symptoms and that low and high-risk stratification is necessary for patient disposition. They recommend the use of the term brewy rather than the former term apparent life-threatening event, or ALTI. They recommend a stratified approach to avoid costly and unnecessary medical care while reserving more thorough workups for patients with greater risk factors. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Febrile seizures present with tonic-clonic activity that generally lasts less than 15 minutes in the setting of a fever, usually greater than 104 degrees Fahrenheit, though any febrile patient may experience a febrile seizure. Note that a febrile seizure is generalized, 
and there should only be a brief postictal phase followed by a return to baseline. Note that this patient is afebrile. Choice 3. Functional neurologic disorder presents with neurologic symptoms including dizziness, weakness, numbness, or tremor, among many others, that do not follow a particular organic distribution either in the peripheral or central nervous system. For example, a tremor in a young healthy patient only in one hand that can be mitigated with distraction could suggest a functional neurologic disorder. Choice 4. Meningitis presents with a fever, photophobia, neck stiffness, and often confusion. Patients may experience seizures and are very ill-appearing. Early lumbar puncture and antibiotics are critical in management. Central nervous system imaging should be performed if there is concern for increased intracranial pressure and is often performed prior to lumbar puncture. Choice 5. QT prolongation may lead to cardiac dysrhythmias, which could cause torsade de point, leading to cardiac arrest. This patient has no history of congenital QT prolongation in the family, such as Jervell-Long-Nielsen or Romano-Ward syndrome. Magnesium sulfate and avoidance of QT prolonging medications is the treatment of torsade de point in a stable patient. Finally, a bullet summary. Brief resolved unexplained events, or BRUI, occur in the first year of life with sudden, brief, unexplained symptoms not caused by another clear organic etiology. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A two-year-old boy presents to the emergency department after an episode of jerking of his extremities, followed by a phase of confusion that lasted for about 10 minutes. The child is generally healthy, but the parents note that for the past several days, he has had a runny nose, cough, and congestion with fevers. He has not been eating and drinking and is more fussy lately. His temperature is 104 degrees Fahrenheit, or 40 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 100 over 68. Pulse is 137 beats per minute. Respirations are 24 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam reveals an uncomfortable appearing child. He is moving all extremities and has no pain with movement of his neck. He is given a dose of acetaminophen and is able to eat and drink. He states he feels more comfortable. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Diazepam Choice 2. External cooling Choice 3. Phenobarbital Choice 4. Reassurance and discharge And Choice 5. Valproic acid The best answer to this question is Choice 4. Reassurance and Discharge This pediatric patient is presenting with an episode of tonic-clonic jerking of his extremities with a post-ictal phase as evidenced by the confusion and is now at his neurologic baseline. In the setting of his fever caused by a likely viral illness, given his runny nose, cough, and congestion with fevers, this is likely a simple febrile seizure, which requires only reassurance. Simple febrile seizures are common in pediatric patients 5 years of age and younger. Generally, a rapid ascent of the fever leads to this condition, though there is also an association with higher fevers as well. Typically, this is a generalized seizure with no focal features that lasts for less than 15 minutes. This is followed by a brief postictal phase where the patient subsequently returns to baseline afterwards. This is commonly caused by viral infections. However, 
a thorough workup and physical exam should be performed to rule out bacterial etiologies in the appropriate clinical setting, in particular when considering meningitis, which can cause both a fever and seizures. Acetaminophen may be used to control the fever. However, it is not a mandatory intervention and is indicated for patient comfort. Ibuprofen and other NSAIDs can also be used to control fever and make the patient feel more comfortable. While there is a slightly higher incidence of epilepsy in patients with febrile seizures, if the patient is not seizing and is at baseline, there is no need to start anti-epileptic medicine. Patients with a febrile seizure who are back to their neurologic baseline without suspicion for bacterial infections or meningitis may be discharged with reassurance and plan for primary care follow-up. The publication by Graves et al. reviews febrile seizures. They note that febrile seizures are common in the first five years of life. They recommend assessing and addressing the source of fever. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Diazepam is only indicated to abort an acute seizure episode. Note that this patient's seizure has resolved and he is back to baseline. Many febrile seizures can be observed and will resolve spontaneously without intervention. Persistent seizures or status epilepticus will require benzodiazepines. Choice 2. External cooling is not needed except for patient comfort. Often, antipyretics are preferred for patient comfort as they both improve symptoms and reduce fever. External cooling is not recommended as routine care for febrile seizures, but would be indicated for heat stroke, which presents with an elevated body temperature and end organ dysfunction, which may include confusion and seizures. Heat stroke typically occurs at a temperature greater than 104 degrees Fahrenheit or 40.0 degrees Celsius in the setting of exertion with impaired cooling, such as with exercise on a hot or humid day. Choice 3. Phenobarbital can be given as a second or third line agent for acute seizures in status epilepticus, but it would not be given to a patient who is back to their baseline. It can also be given for alcohol withdrawal as a first-line agent, and it reduces the need for ICU admission and has a long half-life, preventing repeat episodes of withdrawal and the need for frequent medication dosing. Choice 5. Valproic acid can be given for acute seizures. It is often third-line in status epilepticus and is a chronic home medication for patients with epileptic seizures. There is no indication to begin anti-epileptic drugs in patients with a single simple febrile seizure. Finally, a bullet summary. Simple febrile seizures that have resolved require no long-term care or medications. That's all for this review about febrile seizures. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on medbullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, 
on the Med Bullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.